Uh, so, uh, the book of Hebrews is written by this unknown author to this unknown people, but the beauty of that is that we can kind of dive into this space, because what we do know is that the author is not, we don't know who they're speaking to, but we can kind of the language and the tone and the direct uh, words that are used within this book or in this sermon, speaking to a people who have come uh, into a position of doubt in their faith. They have found the struggles of following Jesus in real persecution in their real time and place to be a challenge, and also in a place where it's a challenge to navigate their lives walking in a different way around their family. There are people starting to whisper to them. So this is the people that he's speaking to today. But we come to this place in any sermon uh, you know, we have the introduction, you kind of like the, the preachers bringing around to what we're going to be kind of talking about, presenting. That's what we've been doing the last few weeks. But today, we're kind of getting into what we call the meat of the sermon. We're getting into this big chunk of scripture. Uh, we're actually going to be walking through uh, chapters 4 through 10. Don't worry, we're not going to read all that. But this is that place where the this preacher is really presenting something very serious and very real. And today we're going to be uh, walking in some very theologically dense places. And I want you to bear with me with them as much as I can without becoming like a lecture. And we'll, we'll just kind of come bring it down to a place where we can understand and walk through that space. But I hope today when we walk out of this room or if we, at the end of this, this sermon, that if you are in a position today, you're here and you believe in Jesus as your Savior. You believe He is the Son of God. He saved you, that He died and rose again for your sins. If that's something that you have already done and that's the position you are in, then what you're going to know today is what really theologically happened around that decision of belief. Now, if you're here today and you're in a position of investigation, you're looking into what it is to follow Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Is this Jesus real? What is the point of His death? What are these, uh, what is all this about? This is probably one of the best sermons to come be in because this is what the preacher in Hebrews is speaking to, those who are in doubt in that space and who need that reassurance of what Jesus has done for us and who we are to him. So I want to invite you today, as again, we won't be reading all of that passage, but if you go to the Sunday page that we, we have up every week at our website, lovechapel.com Sunday, go down to the teaching section. There's a link for all the passages of Scripture that we're going through, that we'll be walking through today. I really highly recommend. I really could have just read it and closed the book and walked it off. It was that good. So I highly recommend reading that today. So if there's something I said today you want to flesh out a little bit more, that is a great resource to do that. There's also a couple of videos from our friends at the Bible Project that even simplify it even better uh, in a video visual form. So that's there for you, and I want to encourage you to do that. But this morning, I'm going to have some friends come help me. Here, I'm going to ask my friends Carolyn and Jacob to come down, and we're going to do the re have the reading of the Word. Don't worry, not all of that. Uh, I, I love them. I won't do that to them. But um, as they're getting set up here, um, yeah, well, I'm going to ask if you are able and willing... Uh, for the reading of the scripture, I ask everybody to stand uh, in honor of that. But as you're doing that, I would love to ask uh, Carolyn and Jacob, like, tell us a little bit about you guys. So how did you find Love Chapel Hill? You know, what kind of keeps you around? Uh, I found Love Chapel Hill about five years ago. A coworker actually brought me here. Um, and then Jacob and I actually got married about three years ago, three years next week. Mm -hmm. um, 
and he started coming with me after we got married. So we really like it here. There's lots of great people. So. Yeah, and you're one of those great people. <laughs> I think uh, one thing that's important to me too is kind of the outward focus of the church. Mm -hmm. like that's what the church is supposed to be in the world, and I appreciate that here that's a focus community too. Yeah. That's important. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you guys both. Would you all mind reading us uh, chapters 4 and 5 a little bit for us? Sure. You'll be on the screen here to read along, everyone. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, that he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, and today I have become your father. And in another place he says, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Thank you guys so much. Just give them a hand, y'all. Yes. Yes. So good. You guys can go have a seat. Thank you for that so much. Who here likes to do DIY stuff? Do it yourself. Yeah. There you go. All right. Cutting your own hair or you know, making something around the house or working on your own car. Um, we, uh, you know, DIY is fun now, right? But like for me, it wasn't always the case. I kind of grew up at home where, uh, you know, my, my father was not mechanically inclined in any way. Anything he tried to do on himself ended up in failure. So nothing was ever passed on to me. So when uh, I grew up and um, my wife and I got married and we got a new, our first new home and uh, all these things needed to be done, I'm like, uh-oh. What do I do? But thankfully, there's this thing called YouTube, right? <laughs> so now I feel like I can do anything on my own. That YouTube will, there's an expert for something that has shared us first, shared how to do something that I can do as well. So definitely not scared to do any DIY stuff anymore. Um, but the beauty of YouTube that us to be able to do a lot of things on our own. But there are some times that we absolutely, no matter what, we cannot do on our own. We need an expert, right? We need an expert. Uh, if we need to have heart surgery, we, that's, that's probably not a good DIY situation, right? You need a heart surgeon, a trained in this, that field that has become an expert in that space to work on us. Or 
If our car breaks down, you know, we may be able to put our own gas in, we may be able to drive it, maybe if you're really inclined, you can change your own oil, but if it stops running, we need a mechanic, somebody who can solve the problem and actually replace the parts. We need an expert. Uh, if we need to uh, have, uh, if we have a cavity, you know, we need a dentist to do either a filling or a crown to fix it. Um, I learned that the hard way uh, a while back. Uh, so before I was in ministry, um, I actually worked in healthcare for 16 years, mostly in emergency medicine and pediatrics. But um, there was this one time I had a tooth break, and most of it came out, but there was still a little stuck in there. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, you know, I don't have dental insurance. I got this. I, I can do this. And so I went and got these sterile instruments, and I'm, you see, I mean, it's bad. Like, I'm in the mirror of the bathroom, like, yeah, bad idea. Okay, I learned I cannot do that myself. I needed an expert, went to the dentist. I learned the hard way. But think about it this way. The, greater need, the greatest needs we have need the greatest experts. This is important in our culture. If, you know, you need to have brain surgery, or you have cancer, or you have something very big, something huge, you do you go not just to a doctor but you ask are you the best doctor i've seen many people who say like yeah i've got this very rare illness but thankfully i have like the leading expert in all of north carolina or all of the world work you got to add that detail because really the best we can do is the best of the best because even the best of the best the experts within our culture still can fail the idea is we hope that they are the percentages that they fail the least but the potential is always there because no expert within this world is ever perfect. So what do we do when we have the biggest need and the only solution is perfection? It's hard to find. It's not possible. So our friend, the preacher, whether it was a man or woman in Hebrews, has presented a solution of what Jesus is and who he is to us and he is the perfection that we need. So he calls Jesus, as, as our friends Carolyn Jacob read, he calls Jesus this high priest. What does that even mean? We, I mean, unless, uh, I mean, at least in our culture here of Love Chapel Hill, I'm not a priest, just Allison's not a priest. We don't have priests here. Uh, if you are a Catholic or come from a Catholic background, you probably would have heard that term much more, and that's okay. But the priest that uh, the author and he talking about is a different kind of priest. It's a very unique space within that time and culture. Um, but what he does say about Jesus in this space, uh, and, and as we read in chapter 4, that he has come to this world as a, he was a priest, but he came to this world as one of us. God, the creator, the author of life, coming down to earth as fully human, fully man, fully man, fully God. And in this space, he's able to be our priest among us, and understand us, he empathizes with us as he, he professes. But he is this priest. Okay, so what is a priest? We, we, we may not really fully connect. So essentially he says in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It's a person that represents the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So this main responsibility of the priesthood in Old Testament or in even the early first century uh, context um, in the Jewish culture was to be this mediator between humanity and God. That they would fill in that gap that was created so long ago. As we read all the way back in the very first chapter of Genesis, the very beginning, 
in Scripture. We see that this position of humanity is created with God in this garden, this representation of heaven and earth together in one place in full connection, in perfection. But at some point along the way, humanity is duped, and they're deceived, and they decide to, to disobey God and do it their own way. And they make this, this breaking with God. They break this perfect union. They break this, and, they, and what we call is sin. And evil enters the world through mankind into this space. And we start to see that tumble and grow as man, humanity is cast from the garden. This brokenness, this sin has come in. And God has been wronged by his favorite creation, and everything is broken from it. So now there's this gap between humanity and God. But God, and through his love, instantly says, I'm going to create a way. I'm going to make a perfect way to restore what this is in us. And we start to see this narrative of this story throughout the Old Testament, walking through. We kind of fast forward to Abraham. You've heard that name before if you're new to Christianity. This, uh, this man that God finds just and holy, and he create the redemptive path that perfect answer to this perfect need, this problem that humanity has, this gap, through your line, through your lineage. This solution is going to come through you. I'm going to build a nation, a people, which ends up becoming Israel, the Israelites. This is the people born from Abraham. And in this story, fast forward again, the Israelites are, are born and created. They become this nation. And the Lord delivers them out of slavery, out of condemnation. And in this place, as they're wandering the desert, finding this promised land promised to them by their leader Moses, uh, there is these new covenants that are made with God to with the people, to, again, to kind of start the process, trying to find that reconciliation to kind of create those gaps. And he chooses, the Lord chooses Abraham's brother Aaron to make this what was called a priesthood, that these people, that these were the experts of being the people that stood in the gap between God and humanity. And they had this process that would be built from this to help brokenness within the people to find wholeness and forgiveness of their sins. So when they were they walking in this world in full freedom and forgiveness, they can love and feel the grace and mercy of the Lord in that space. So this was the system. This was the plan. The problem is that it wasn't perfect. It was the best of the best. But it wasn't best enough. It wasn't perfect enough. So again, let's come back to what our friend uh, in Hebrews, our preacher, says. He calls Jesus this high priest, but not a high priest in the same order of Aaron and the Levites that would have been genealogically. That's how you got the job was through only through this line of Aaron, that you could only be a priest if you were born from this lineage. Now he's saying, like, Jesus is an order of priests in a different tribe, in the order of Melchizedek. It's a fun word. Let's say it together. Melchizedek. There you go. See, have fun. I, I don't want to have all the fun saying the word. But we get introduced to this guy, this guy named Melchizedek, and you're like, I may have not heard of this guy. He doesn't find the most, like, the greatest hits of, of biblical stories. Because it's really, he's only in a very small portion in Genesis 14. He actually interacts with Abraham prior to any of uh, Abraham's children being born. So uh, Hebrews 7, uh, verses 1 through 3, he kind of describes who Melchizedek is. Let's read along here. It'll be on the screen here if you want to read with me. So this king, Melchizedek of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham as he was returning from defeating the kings 
and blessed him. So a little, little, little backstory to what's happening here. This is why Abraham is interacting with Melchizedek. So what had happened was in that region where Abraham was in Canaan, there were several other kingdoms. And they started warring with each other. Long story short, one of them decides to kind of get into Abraham's business. And they kidnap his nephew. And at this time, uh, this nephew's name's Lot. He's Abraham's favorite nephew. Like, they, they're really close. Abraham doesn't have a son at this point, so it's probably the best thing he has to a son. And he's taken. So Abraham raises up like 300-some men, and they go to this kingdom, and they wipe them out. Well, remember that war with these other kingdoms, so the kings, all of them came, were like, oh, hey, this Abraham guy did, did our dirty work for us. And so there's this guy, this king, Mechizedek, that kind of comes out. He comes to thank Abraham, as we read, but he's, he's labeled differently. We don't know where he comes from. He just kind of comes out of nowhere in this story. He's this, this king of Salem, but he's called this priest, not just a king, he's called the priest of the Most High. So up until this point, we only know Abraham of worshiping the Most High, the same God, Yahweh, the same God, the creator of everything. He's not a pagan uh, God. This, this is the same God that this, this king of Salem has come as a priest. And he comes to Abraham after defeating him. So, okay, so we keep reading here. He says, and to Abraham apportioned one-tenth of everything. His name in the first place means king of righteousness. Next, he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So, the preacher in Hebrews is relating Jesus as a priest to this priest, this guy that just, you're watching a movie where, you know, they, the, the camera just highlights on this one little random thing, and you're like, okay, you just know, that's going to be important later. We don't know what it is, and that's... That's what the priest or the preacher in Hebrews is doing. He's like, you remember that old story way back in Genesis 14? Like, yeah, that, that, that's important here. And we're like, okay, tracking, tracking, what are you, what are you saying? So here he's, he's relating Jesus to the person. So we already see that, uh, that Jesus is like Melchizedek being the king of righteousness and also the king of peace. Another fact that he of Salem. This is which would be later known as Jerusalem. This place that we now have, he's relating Jesus to King of Righteousness, King of Peace, and King of Jerusalem, but also a priest out of this order. And he continues here, just to kind of add enough little extra controversy and weirdness here. The, the preacher in Hebrews says, he says, without fa- he is without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So what is he saying here? Is he saying Melchizedek kind of was this came out of nowhere person that didn't die and such? No, I, there's some that, that might kind of translate that way. But if you keep reading throughout Hebrews, he's very much telling in over and over detail of, of Jesus being this high priest as him. And so what we see here is Melchizedek doesn't come from the line of Aaron. He's way before. And actually in this space... He blesses, he lays his hands, and he blesses Abraham, ultimately blessing those priests that came from him. He's before. He's coming from outside the system that had been created to fill this gap. This is new priest coming from this new tribe doing a new thing. This is what he's relating to. So Melchizedek, he doesn't come from genealogy. He's highlighting that he doesn't come from the line of Aaron. He's different. He's outside of that. 
that broken system, that only the best of the best system wasn't enough. But this new priest is different. He's changing things. He's making things new. And this is what he's relating him to, that so that we can, Jesus is this high priest, this perfect, perfect person stepping out sinless, uh, without, a person without sin, paying that ultimate price and sacrifice, laying down his life on the cross for our sins and our atonement and releasing us in our purification and love and forgiveness that we can live today. This is what he's saying that, that Jesus is. He's in the order of Mechazeltek. But we've got to understand when there's a mediation, there's two sides to that story. You say, yay, Jesus, you're, you're high priest. You did it. That's probably great in your resume. But what does that mean for me? We'll back up a little bit and understand how we are and we're who we are in this story. Remember back in this fall, this place where humanity broke that perfect connection with God. And in that, each one of us are born into this world in this place of brokenness, in this depravity of, of needing a Savior to come out of our pain, out of our evil within our hearts. So we need to talk about sin and evil for a second. And we're going to try to bring it down just a little bit so it's not too, too much, but I think you can follow along and let me know. I hope you're doing okay. Catch it up here today. So let's look at evil and sin for a second. Essentially, it's in two ways biblically. One is direct. As an example, let's say I was to steal something from you. I was supposed to, I was, took something of yours. I have now directly wronged you. I have made an injustice to you directly. And there's a debt that needs to be paid for rectification, to be redeemed from that. If not, that debt is always there. And I live in this place of guilt and a place of needing forgiveness. And you need to forgive me. This is that direct wronging, this direct evil that has done between us. Then there's an indirect space that happens with sin and evil. Now, I wronged you, but now what happens to you? You become untrusting. I, don't know if I, could tr I can't trust you anymore. Maybe the next person will steal something from me. And this person that now you've been wronged, you, this, this kind of this, this vandalism of the relationship in this environment around the direct sin. Now you have a person that's broken. That's a person that's been wronged. And then they, in that, their brokenness may wrong someone else or they can't trust someone. And this brokenness just spreads throughout the area and it just infects the entire environment. So this is evil and sin. So this is the problem that has been created as we have gone through our history. It just keeps spreading over and over. Sin, 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 evil, evil, evil. It's so broken. And we need a Savior. We need something to fix it. And a lot of times we come to God and we say, God, why is there so much evil in this world? Why can't you just fix it? Can't you get rid of it? And the problem is that to get rid of it, he has to get rid of us. Because we are the evil. We are the sin that is entering into this world, into this space, with our actions and our hearts towards others, and our selfishness, and the things that we take on and we spread to others. So for God to rid this world of evil, we have to rid it us. But he loves us way too much to do that. He loves us way too much. So he creates this system through this priesthood to make an atonement for the sins, to create a space where humanity can bear that gap and be this mediator of our sins and set us in a place of forgiveness and freedom. And early on, again, we, we just back to our history lesson, this Levitical priest, this priest from Aaron, create this system 
where they take animals and they use them. And God allows this, this honoring of the animal to stand in that gap, that, that, that penalty of death, because that's the only way to really truly rid sin is by destroying it. And so the animals will stand in a representation, stand in that place. And they would sacrifice the animal for in this place what we'd call atonement. And to simplify that big theological word, is essentially is just paying the debt of another. And so they would sacrifice the animal. They would bring their perfect, unblemished animal they could find, the best of the best, not fully perfect, but the best of the best, and they present it. And the priest would perform this ritual for you, for the person, for their sin. Do, there was that, that's the part of atonement that for that sin. But then they would, the next step, the priest would take the blood of the animal, and the blood would represent life. And in that, the, the, the priest would walk through the temple, which is a representation of heaven, and he would sprinkle the blood in a purification ritual to purify the environment. Remember the indirect sin, to kind of purify that space. And this is that called cleansing, this cleansing the area. So this was this simplifying down their process, so a lot more details, and I would love for you to read that. But simplifying the process, this idea of, of a direct atonement for the sin and a cleansing for the environment around it. This was the system set up uh, by God and with the people and the priests. But the problem was it wasn't perfect. That over time, and you would, if you read through the breadth of the Old Testament, of especially the, the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and even so many, some of the, the minor prophets, which is, just means that they wrote less than the other guys, um, they were speaking into these communities saying, you are messing the point. You're, broke, you're breaking the system here. And what was routinely happening is, is the people were continuing these rituals, but they were, they were null and void because they were also avoiding the poor and the oppressed around them. The king of the time, the priests of the time were abusing the system of power and privilege. And so these rituals just became actions and nothing was truly being forgiven. Nothing, no one was truly walking in freedom. The system was broken. It's like putting a band-aid on a broken arm. You're making an attempt, but it wasn't functioning. We needed something else. This system was broken. We needed somebody to work and function outside of this system. Here's where the preacher's saying, Jesus is like the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Outside of that broken system, this person that steps out of the story and comes from nowhere, but who never dies, that paid when Jesus walks and he gives of his own life to be sacrificed on that cross and sheds his blood, this atonement purification happens. It does it once and for all. It's a one and done for all that comes from this place because he never dies. He conquers sin and death through the resurrection. So we celebrate during Sunday morning this place of everything. Our debt has been paid. The gap has been closed for all who accept and take him in. But it does something different. It takes something new. Let's continue reading here in Hebrews 7. In verse 12, it says, For when the priesthood is changed, the law must change also. New priest, new rules. We're outside of the system. And to kind of create some weight here in this, it'd be like uh, us. We live here, or you are here in America, whether you're from here or not. You're here in America, 
we have a democratic system. I know we've got some poli-sci people in here, so you can correct me. I'll keep it simple as possible. I know, Mandy, you're probably watching at home. You can correct me, too. You can text me later. But imagine this. So we have a system of government. We have a voting system, and we bring in, uh, we vote for our senators and our congressmen and our presidents, and they, they build a judicial system, right? We, we know about it. We hear it on the news all the time. I'm sure you're very adapt to our system. Imagine this. We have, you know, President Joe Biden. What if all of a sudden somebody comes out of nowhere and taps on the shoulder like, I got this, Joe. I got this. I, I, I got a better Thank you for doing the best you can, but I've got this. Imagine the whole world. We're like, what? Who's that guy? Who's that person? What are they doing? So that's what Jesus is doing. He's created something new. When you see in the scripture, where Jesus heals, I don't know if you're familiar, it's in Matthew, where he's familiar, where the, the paralytic man is lowered down into the room where Jesus is, and he heals him. But the first thing he says is, like, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the leaders at the time, were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So the reason why they were so like, what are you doing? Because they're like, you don't, you're not from the line of Aaron. Are you from the line of Aaron? Are you a priest? No, he's working out of a new system, out of a new era, saying, your, your system's broken. It's time to look at me. I've created something new. And he, he tells the man, is it, or tells the Pharisees, like, is it easier for uh, me to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? And the man dramatically gets some walk. Jesus just dropping the mic there. But that's what he's talking about. They're like, I'm something new. I've created something new. And he says in verse 17, he says, For he has declared you are a priest forever in the order of Mechizeldeck. The former regulation is set aside because it is weak. And useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of the better covenant. We mentioned covenants earlier, right? We mentioned covenants that he made with with Moses and Aaron in this priestly system. Now he's saying there's a better covenant. That old way is gone. It's done. Here is this new way. This is a new way when the priest itself is also the sacrifice that has been fully made. This door is completely open now for all who will believe and accept. And there's that point of where you probably maybe have heard or maybe you've done this yourself and you've said, a prayer, or you've known in your heart that you said, Jesus, you are God. I believe in you that you died on that cross for my sins. You paid that atonement. And through your blood, I am purified in my heart. And this is real. You are real, and you are real to me. And we say in that space, there's a theological terms used as saved. And what we're doing, we're being saved from our sin and our evil. And this door is perpetually open. It's constant because this priest lives forever. Not like the old system where they had to do it over and over again just to keep up because it was so broken. And the people doing the priests themselves were broken. Now we have a perfect priest, the author of life, stepping in that space. This is our salvation. This is who we are. And in that, our sins are forgiven instantly because of he has already paid that price. We don't need to walk in that space because he's already done it. And which in turn allows us to turn and walk through this world and navigate it in this place of for, we are forgiven, that our wrongs are forgiven, our sins, our evil hearts are forgiven. 
and we can walk in this place of freedom to go into the world to love each other but without a heavy heart, without this thing hanging on our back, about, these, about the things that I've done. I can say, I am free. I can walk in that space. And I am free because of my high priest who has already paid that debt, and I can walk in that. And I can walk with my head held high and know that I am, yes, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot find perfection on my own, but he does it for me and through him. Sin and evil is destroyed when we come to him in that space, and we receive that in our hearts. Now, I know in our, I love our culture, I love our, our country in this way that there's so many diverse people and coming with different ideas and solutions to problems and such. I love that. And I know we're in a very religious, pluralistic society. And I want to be very, very respectful here and say I do appreciate that, but I also will be very respectful here. The scripture and what this pe- the preacher is saying here and, and throughout scripture is very, very clear that there is only one way to God. There's only one mediator to close that gap, and it is Jesus alone. And I know maybe you're here today or you're listening today, and, and, you're, and you're in the thought process of that many roads lead to the same mountaintop. I get that. I understand it sounds wonderful. But I want to respectfully disagree in that the scripture is saying that it is only Jesus that we come to, that he is the only one that is perfect enough. The rest are only the best of the best. That ultimately that they will fail. Ultimately they are the band-aid on the broken arm. But Jesus fixes that and heals that in that space. So I just want to challenge you today. If that's something you're wrestling with, keep wrestling. Keep reading. Keep learning. I'm, I'm happy to talk with you. I know Pastor Justin and Allison are happy to talk with you. Come Tuesday to Take It Easy Tuesday. We'll, we'll, just, we'll bring it all out. We'll chat. Come Tuesday morning, Old Man Coffee. Where, wherever it is, let's come chat. Talk in your small groups. Talking your discipleship bands, if this is something that's really stretching for you, what this means, and just dive into Scripture. But it is Jesus and Jesus alone that has paid that debt, that has also conquered death for us. And so what happens when we accept this, we take on this salvation, this understanding that Jesus is, then what happens is another big theological word, we start going into sanctification, okay, holiness. And I know that's, that's some big stuff in this perfect, perfect language that is kind of presented even in, here in Hebrews. And I'm going to try, let's bring that down. Let's bring that down a little bit. Ultimately, what that means is God starts to work in our hearts because we're working in a, in a blank slate place, freedom space, where now that the Lord can work within us and starts uh, making us Christ-like. If you want to think of holiness, think of Christ-likeness. Not Christ himself, but Christ-likeness. That we can become like him, that we can navigate this world, interact with each other in this space of love and acceptance and caring. And we can see differently. Just as the old system where people would continue to do the atonement action, but we're forgetting the others. We start being sanctified, creating something new in our hearts that we walk and move. And that's a lot of times what we talk about on Sundays and other areas, what the Lord is doing within us, making us Christ-like. But this starts, this starts in this position of understanding it is Jesus and Jesus alone. There's a high priest that has paid that price, and we can live in that hope and forgiveness to the world. Now, I understand you may be here today, and you're like, I don't feel very broken. I don't, I don't feel this. And some days, maybe you do very much feel how much evil might be in your heart. But you may be here today and you're not sure about this, and I understand that. 
again, coming back to maybe a dental analogy, but not long ago, I saw my doctor for uh, dentist for cleaning, and he's like, you've got a cavity up here. I'm like, great. He's like, you want to fix it? Like, yeah, no, I don't really feel it. I'm good. He's like, you may not feel it, but it doesn't change that it's not there. It doesn't change that, that it's not a need that you have. So I just want to introduce that into your heart and your idea today. You're struggling with that. Just because you don't feel it, I don't, maybe you don't feel that I need Jesus, doesn't mean that it's not true. I challenge you to investigate that and work in that. And I promise you, if you walk in that space, I really believe the Lord, the Holy Spirit will work and teach you and grow in that space. Keep investigating. Keep walking in that. So to sum it up, all this great theological talk here today, we are atoned through our high priest. Our debt is paid, okay? We are cleansed and purified within our hearts. Our sins are washed away. We're made whole. We're made new because of the blood of Jesus. And then we are also sanctified. We're made Christ-like through him and through his grace of our sins and who we are. And we can walk in forgiveness and freedom because of Jesus, our high priest. And I hope that you find that encouraging today. And I understand that maybe this was a challenging message to even prepare for and understand maybe a lot turning in your hearts and your minds and just keep investigating that. I believe this is maybe just an introduction for you today into this space or maybe it's a confirmation to what's something you've already done. And just like the people that are being spoken to in this sermon, wrestle with this. Turn in this. Look into the scripture. Talk with someone about it. Let the Holy Spirit continue to do that work in you to understand what Jesus did and why we need him so much. Now, as the old system had these rituals of animal sacrifice and we don't have to do that anymore, right? Gross. Ooh, we don't need to do that. Poor animals. We'll let them live. God has even created grace to them that they don't have to stand in that place anymore. But we can turn and get these wonderful new rituals in Christianity, but they're in celebration of what God has done, standing on his place as the high priest of the sacrifice already done. And one of the first ones is water baptism. And maybe you've done this, or maybe you haven't, or you think about this. But what it does is this place where you, you say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. You are the Son of God, and I believe in you wholeheartedly. And you've paid the debt for my sins, and now I'm going to represent you. I'm going to step in, and I'm going to go under the water, saying, giving up my old life, giving up my old stuff, and I'm going to raise again just like you did and live as a new created being in the sanctified place of being Christ-like working within our hearts. That is baptism. And then the next ritual that we come in, it's a celebration, and we do this every week here with the bread and the cup. I'm asking my friends Pixie and AJ to come down and get ready, and Sam maybe to play. But what we do when we take on, we take this bread and we symbolize breaking it. We say what? This is in remembrance of Jesus' body broken. This is that atonement, him stepping into that place and allowing our sins and our debts to be paid. So we consume the bread that is in remembrance of our sins already been paid. And then when we take this cup and we're going to take the bread and you're going to break it off as our servers present it to you. You're going to dip it in the cup. And this blood, this juice here that represents the blood that has cleansed us, that has set us free in our hearts so that we can walk 
in hope and forgiveness and freedom. So I want to challenge you something a little different today. As Pixie and AJ serve you, one of them will give you the bread and they'll say, his body broken for you. I want you to know that is your atonement. That is your debt pay. And as you dip into the cup, into the blood, know that this represents the blood that Jesus said in purifying our hearts. And here's the different part. As you take this bread that is with this blood, the juice, actual juice, guys, don't worry, just juice. And you're going to take it to your seat. And I want you, whether you don't have to say it loud, you don't have to do this at all, but I just want to encourage you. When you come back to your seats, and before you put it in your mouth, say to yourself, I am forgiven and I am free. And know that, that this has truly happened for you. And I encourage you, this is for everyone. Even if you're on the fence and you're trying to figure this out, if you want to participate, this is for you as well. And I hope you can believe those words as you do this today. And know that Christ loves you so much that he has done this for you and is open door for you. And we do have a gluten-free option here. If someone needs that, that's awesome. Um, but I'm going to invite everyone to come down. If you want to start on this side and come down here to my friends and serve. If you need prayer today, if you have questions, I'll be standing right over here in the corner. Come talk to me. I love to talk with you. But welcome to the cup. Come take it, serve.